Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. May I ask you a question? I asked Mr. Producer, Mr. Call Screener, this question right before we came on the air. Are there no women members of Congress who sexually harass anybody? I mean, that, that would be unique, wouldn't it, Mr. Producer? Story after story about, you know, female teachers molesting students. I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm saying just they're out there. You see them all the time. I'm, I'm just rather shocked. That Congress, there's a lot of women in Congress now. The Senate, the House, staffers. Do they not harass any men or boys or other women? Apparently not. Very interesting. Very interesting. Got a lot of ways I can go today. There's really a ton going on. On this lovely Friday where it's raining in the Washington, D.C. area in Virginia. And by the way, a reminder, I'm on Waters World, 8 p.m. Eastern, tomorrow, Saturday. And my favorite show, because I do it, Life, Liberty, and Levin, 10 p.m. Sunday, Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific. Laura Logan is our guest for the full hour. She's terrific. I'm reading these stories. They're still going on about our Attorney General. Now, this is the second time he's been Attorney General. He's highly, highly regarded as an outstanding lawyer. And they want to subpoena his re- the, uh, the report, which is a joke. He's accused of a cover-up, which is a joke. He's bought and paid for, which is a joke. So now he's under attack. And then, of course, as we discussed yesterday, the New York Times does a phony story on sources, anonymous sources, who know other anonymous sources about uh, how they disagree and there's differences on the special counsel's team over collusion. Well, who cares? And the New York Times pushes this stuff. And don't be surprised over the weekend, particularly on Sunday, when they're really pushing that arcane, big, thick newspaper that they sell out there, which, of course, ought to be... uh, Confronted ought to be targeted by the environmentalists losing using all that paper. But anyway, the point is that the New York Times is stirring it up there. Washington Post is stirring it up. What are we? What is this all about? Subpoenas. The Attorney General's covering up. What is this all about? Why do the newsrooms go along with this stuff? You know, I hinted uh, several months ago about a gentleman by the name of Borston, Professor Borston. And he would eventually become uh, 
the head of the Library of Congress for a period of time. But he was a brilliant, brilliant man, a historian at the University of Chicago, Daniel Borston. Widely esteemed. And he wrote about pseudo-events, which we've touched on before, but I really want to dig into it a little bit today. As you enter into the weekend, many of you are in your cars, you're in your rush hour, you're getting ready to get in your cars, you're at home safely listening. I want you to think about this phrase, pseudo-events. We know about propaganda, but pseudo-events are different. They can be propaganda. And he wrote way back, 58 years ago, about pseudo-events. A very prescient man. And he said, we need not be theologians to see that we have shifted responsibility from making the world interesting from God to the newspaper man. We used to believe there were only so many events in the world. If there were not many intriguing or startling consequences, it wasn't the fault of the reporter. He couldn't be expected to report what did not exist. Within the last hundred years, though, And especially in the 20th century, all this has changed. We expect the papers to be full of news. And if there's no news visible to the naked eye or to the average citizen, we still expect it to be there for enterprising newsmen. The successful reporter is one who can find a story, even if there's no earthquake or assassination or civil war. If he cannot find a story, then he must make one. He must make one by the questions he asks of public figures. By the surprising human interest he unfolds from some commonplace event. Or by the so-called news behind the news. And if all that fails, then he must give us a think piece. An embroidering of well-known facts or a speculation about startling things to come. This, explained Borston, is a new kind of synthetic novelty. Synthetic novelty, which has flooded our experience, that being pseudo-events. The common prefix pseudo comes from the Greek word meaning false or intended to deceive. And we are surrounded, folks, by pseudo-events. Borstein explained that with the advent of round-the-clock media, the news gap soon became so narrow that in order to have additional news, so-called, For each new edition of each new broadcast, it was necessary to plan in advance the stages by which any available news would be unveiled. With more space to fill, the newsman had to fill it ever more quickly. News gathering turned into news making. Moreover, pseudo-events spawn other pseudo-events in geometric progression. This is partly because every kind of pseudo-event tends to become ritualized with a protocol and a rigidity all its own. As each type of pseudo-event acquires this rigidity, pressures arise to produce other derivative forms of pseudo-events, which are more fluid, more tantalizing, more interestingly ambiguous. Nowadays, the test of a Washington reporter is seldom his skill at precise dramatic reporting, but more often his adeptness at dark intimation. If he wishes to keep his news channels open, he must accumulate a vocabulary and develop a style to conceal his sources, 
and obscure the relation of a supposed event or statement to the underlying facts of life, at the same time seeming to offer hard facts. Much of his stock and trade is his own and other people's speculation about the reality of what he reports. He helps create that very obscurity without which the supposed illumination of his reports would be unnecessary. A perfect example, I say, of this process involves the so-called Russian collusion allegation, which, to summarize, started as a political accusation leveled against candidate Donald Trump by Hillary Clinton and her campaign, followed by political demands by Democratic members of the Senate and House for the appointment of a special counsel, despite the lack of any criminal prerequisite. The chorus of Democratic Party press outlets and their reporters encouraging such an appointment by promoting the demands, the actual appointment of Robert Mueller as special counsel, the countless leaks and speculation about the investigation, the indictments, plea deals, and convictions of individuals unrelated to the original allegation of Russian collusion and President Trump, the various investigative tributaries flowing from the Mueller investigation into the subsequent investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, leading to the Michael Cohen plea deal and claims of campaign violations, and now the multiple congressional investigations. This was followed by news reports speculating about President Trump's legal peril and implications that he would be indicted, that he was already secretly indicted, that his son Donald Jr. would be indicted, that his son-in-law Jerry Kushner would be indicted, etc. The point is reached were pseudo-events and the pseudo-news drive the Democratic Party press, that's what I call it, and the progressive agenda, which certainly includes the removal of President Trump from office as a top priority. Now, Borstein maintained that we spend much of our waking hours living in a world of unreality, fashioned by, among others, the press. He said the American citizen thus lives in a world where fantasy is more real than reality, where the image has more dignity than its original. We hardly dare face our bewilderment because our ambiguous experience is so pleasantly iridescent, and the solace of belief in contrived reality is so thoroughly real. We have become eager accessories to the great hoaxes of the age. These are the hoaxes we play on ourselves. Green New Deal... Bambade climate change, Medicare for all, open borders. These are the hoaxes we play on ourselves. And Borstein astutely advised, what ails us most is not what we have done with America, but what we have substituted for America. We suffer primarily not from our vices or weaknesses, but from our illusions. We are haunted not by reality, but by those images we have put in place of reality. To discover our illusion will not solve the problems of our world, but if we do not discover them, we will never discover our real problems. To dispel the ghosts which populate the world of our making will not give us the power to conquer the real enemies of the real world or to remake the real world, but it may help us discover 
that we cannot make the world in our image. It will liberate us and sharpen our vision. It will clear away the fog so we can face the world we share with all mankind. Man was a genius, which is why I included him in my book, Unfreedom of the Press. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's my contention that the vast majority of the so-called news we receive is all about social activism. That the radical school of thought led by professors like NYU, Rosen, and others have succeeded in its spreading. It's not about objective truth. It's not about undergirding our founding principles. It's about the opposite. And a smaller and smaller handful of individuals telling us what the news is. The news that they create through propaganda, through pseudo-events, through fabrication, through self-censorship and omission, because they are social activists. I'm going to introduce you to a lot of scholars, a lot of very smart people, with a lot of different ideas about what is taking place and what has been taking place with the so-called fourth estate, the media. It's very, very important, as I said the other day, to understand what we're dealing with. Because if we do not have a truly free press, we cannot have a truly free country. And the same radical progressives who've hijacked Hollywood, our classrooms, the administrative state, the Democrat Party, parts of the Republican Party, have hijacked the media. I'll be right back. Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. of the Electoral College again as we spread the word of liberty and republicanism throughout the country. The media have no idea why we have an Electoral College, how it works, the history behind it, or anything of the sort. These candidates who are running now want to abolish it. They don't either. They have no idea what they're talking about. Beto O'Dork. To answer your question, I don't know what's going on, you guys. Beto O'Dork at We the People rally on Monday. Cut one, go. To answer your question, yes, let's abolish the Electoral College. Um, we, we, um, 
The night after the presidential election in 2016, Amy and I were, were talking to each other and we were like, how are we going to explain to Ulysses and Molly and Henry, who are now 12, 10 and 8, that the person who got 3 million more votes just lost the election? And then we were talking to each other and we're like, how do we explain that to ourselves? Like, what, why is this okay? Um, Obviously, this is- you're not too intelligent if you can't explain it to your children or yourselves. Don't ever encumber yourself with actual history that presents itself and explains it to you. Go ahead. Of those bad compromises we made at day one in this country. And there are many others that we can think of, and they are all connected, including the value of some people based on the color of their skin. You know, this is, a, this is, this is so horrible. To trash your own country like this, this is so horrible. What those men did in Philadelphia gave us the freedom we have today. White, black, brown, red, yellow, albino. They did the best they could under the conditions of the time in the environment that they lived in. And all you have to do is read Abraham Lincoln's speeches, who did more for African-Americans than every one of these Democratic candidates put together times a thousand. He would never have said that about our founding fathers. Never. He revered them. He admired them. He defended them. And he used their work, the Declaration of Independence, quoted it all the time to advance the cause of abolition. For these lightweights, these constitutional illiterates, and that goes for the media too, to lie about aspects of our history is appalling. Is appalling. The Electoral College had absolutely nothing to do with slavery or race. Period. The three-fifths rule had absolutely nothing to do with empowering slavery. It had the opposite. As I've said a hundred times and as I've written a number of books, it was the North that proposed the three-fifths of a person. Not because slaves were three-fifths of a person, because you're talking about determining the number of seats in the House of Representatives that the South would get. But I'm not done. I'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S, dot hillsdale, dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Mark Levin, the cure for the common liberal. Talk to Mark now at 877-381-3811. Our traditions, our customs, our systems are under a brutal assault right now by the left that has taken over the Democrat Party. Lock, stock, and barrel. Even Joe Biden doesn't know where he is anymore. Jeff Merkley is this clown. He's a senator from Oregon, I believe. He's another one. And he's on CNN attacking the president and the Electoral College. Cut to go. Well, I think Schwarzenegger needs to learn a little bit about American history and the dark side of what, how the Electoral College was, was founded. Actually, pal, you're an ignoramus. Absolute moron. Because Schwarzenegger, you see, called Democrats whiny babies and sore losers when he was talking about them trying to get rid of the Electoral College. He's right about that. There is no dark side of how the Electoral College was founded. None whatsoever. It was a brilliant, brilliant idea. Go ahead. It wouldn't hurt for him to embrace the notion that whoever wins an election with the most support of the most citizens should be the person who takes the office. That's the fundamental nature of democracy. No, it's not. We're not a democracy. We're a republic. This guy lectures Schwarzenegger, and he doesn't even know the Constitution. The Constitution is not a document of democracy. It's a document of republicanism. It's a document of federalism. It's a document of checks and balances. We don't have plebiscites. We don't have referenda. We don't have any of that stuff at the federal level, thank God. If this man would bother to read the Federalist Papers, he would understand they were concerned about mobocracy every bit as much as they were concerned about a centralized government, that is, monarchy. They were very concerned about democracy. They saw what happened in France and the French Revolution. The only body that was directly elected originally under our Constitution was the House of Representatives. That wasn't because of slavery. The United States Senate was elected by legislatures. Our senators were chosen by legislatures. The president and the vice president have never been directly elected, ever, in the history of this country. That wasn't some compromise over slavery. They tell us what they thought. They tell us their reasons. Right there in the Federalist Papers, right there in Madison's notes. We don't need Merkley to tell us. Go ahead. In this stand now after Hillary Clinton won the party. This isn't something I hear the people out there arguing about have argued about before, right? I mean, there is this event that happened, and then all of a sudden it became a big deal. Now, see, see, this is the the depth to which Erin Burnett can go. She can't go any deeper because she hasn't bothered to inform herself on this subject. She just gets on there and wings it. Another dummy. Go ahead. Well, it's true. It's been in the conversation a long time. I remember back in high school this being a, a question that was, was debated. Really? And you but learned nothing because of your low IQ. You didn't learn a damn thing. Go ahead. Certainly recent history has shown that we have a system that the flaws have been exposed in. There are and- no flaws in this system. 
the flaws are between your ears, pal. There's no flaws in this system whatsoever. There's a great piece, I believe it's today, in National Review, and there are a lot of great pieces on this subject, on the Electoral College. And, uh, geez, I wish I knew the guy who wrote it here. Let me look at the bottom. Give me a second. I want to give credit where credit's due because I believe in that, but I can't see his name. Um, Dan McLaughlin, that's it. And he says, points out all these Democrats now who support getting rid of the Electoral College. Points out the Electoral College has been with us since the founding. And in its present form since the election of 1804, some of the reasons for its creation may be obsolete now, and the original concept of the electors themselves as important actors in presidential selection process has long since left us. But the fundamental system of electing presidents by 50 simultaneous statewide elections, plus D.C., rather than a raw national popular vote, has long served America well. It isn't going anywhere, and it shouldn't. And the reason he says that is... Tell me, how are you going to amend the Constitution to change this? You're not going to get two-thirds out of the Senate. You have two senators from every state. They're smaller states with small, or large states with small populations. And you're not going to get 38 states to ratify. But this fight's worth having, folks, just so you know the tyranny we're facing. He said, what would American politics look like without the Electoral College? Changing our current system would unsettle so many of the assumptions and incentives that drive presidential politics that the outcomes could easily be unpredictable. But first consider the immediate changes. The core function of the Electoral College is to require presidential candidates to appeal to the voters of a sufficient number of large and smaller states rather than just try to run up big margins in a handful of the biggest states, cities, and regions. Critics ignore the important values served by having a president whose base of support is spread over a broad, diverse array of regions of the country. In a nation as wide and varied as ours, it would be destabilizing to have a president elected over the objections of most of the states. Our American system as a whole, both by design and experience, demands the patient building of broad, diverse political coalitions over time to effect significant change. The presidency works together with the Senate and the House to make that a necessity. The Senate, of course, is also a target of electoral college critics, but eliminating the equal suffrage of states requires the support of every single state. A president elected without regard to state support is more likely to face a dysfunctional level of opposition in the Senate. Here's an example. Most of us would agree that 54% of the vote is a pretty good benchmark for a decisive election victory. Not a landslide, but a no-questions-asked comfortable majority. That's bigger than Donald Trump's victory in Texas in 2016. Trump won 18 states with 54% or more of the vote in 2016. Hillary Clinton won 10, plus D.C., uh, and the other 22 states were closer than that. Nationally, just 16 elections since 1824 have been won by a candidate who cleared 54% of the vote. The last was Reagan in 84, and all of them were regarded as decisive wins at the time. Picture a two-candidate election with 2016's turnout. The Republican wins 54% of the vote in 48 states, losing only California, New York, and D.C. That's a landslide, right? 
But then imagine that the Republican nominee who managed this feat was so unpopular in California, New York, and D.C. that he or she loses all three by a 75% to 25% margin. That 451 to 87 landslide in the Electoral College built on eight-point wins in 48 states would also be a popular vote defeat with 50.7% of the vote for the Democrat to 49.3% of the vote for Republicans. What he's pointing out is if you really drive up the vote really, really big in these dark blue states with big populations, California and New York, and then you add the city of Washington, D.C., he's saying that can sway the entire election. And you can see the problem with that. We're a big country. They say one man, one vote. Well, we believe in one man, one vote. But the issue is, how do you organize it? It's not whether one man or one vote is at play. It's not. How do you organize it? State by state or through a national popular election? And the point is, if you have a national popular election, you could have regions of the country that sway the entirety of the rest of the country. That's why they're pushing this. Not because of one man, one vote, but because they think they can have a permanent majority. So out of a total of about 137 million votes under his example, that's a popular vote margin of victory of 1.95 million votes per candidate who was decisively rejected in 48 of the 50 states. I'll give you a more realistic example. Have you ever looked at the map of the country? See how many states are red versus blue? And you see how often a presidential candidate wins all these red states. And the Democrat wins blue states, but less blue states than red states. But they're much more heavily populated. This is why you have an electoral college. They never wanted a national popular vote when Reagan won two massive popular vote landslides. They never talked about it. Now... He says this scenario is extreme, but the problem is not. Elections where some places are overwhelmingly for or against a candidate, while the rest of the country is competitive, that's the issue. The most extreme example happened in 1860. Please listen. Abraham Lincoln won 18 of the 33 states, all the free states except New Jersey, giving him 59% of the Electoral College. Across the states he won, Lincoln got 54% of the popular vote, just as in our example. In the two states that gave electoral votes to Stephen Douglas, New Jersey, which split its votes between Lincoln and Douglas and Missouri, Lincoln won just 26%, and he was not even on the ballot elsewhere. He got just 0.9% in 11 states carried by Vice President John Breckinridge and 0.7% in three states carried by John Bell. Lincoln won a popular plurality with a little over 39% of the vote. And it is true that 1860 is a unique case. But the point is the Electoral College works against a united regional minority, such as the antebellum self, that seeks to impose its will in the majority regions of the country simply by virtue of superior unity. Now this gets complicated, I know. But the Electoral College is the glue that holds presidential elections together that makes us a nation that makes us a nation you vote in your state 
whatever candidate wins in your state gets your electoral college votes. Can you imagine if you vote in your state and Donald Trump wins your state, but Hillary Clinton won the popular vote because of the enormous turnout in California, a blue state, and the enormous population in California. And your state has decided that your vote for Trump doesn't count, that it's more important that California control all the votes of the state. Does that make sense to you, Mr. Producer? But you get my example? So the point is, you can have close elections in 40 states, 35 states, 30 states. You can have the Republican candidate winning as an example, 35 states, and yet lose the presidency. The national popular vote is the greatest fraud of them all, for the reason that I just told you. Let's say it's a very close election. And then the votes start coming in in California. And then after the election, you recall, in California, more votes start coming in, and they count more and more votes. All of a sudden, there's 100,000, 200, a million votes. And as California goes, so goes your vote in every state. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Because that's where we're going with the national popular vote, which seeks to go around the Constitution. The Electoral College was not created because of slavery. It is about the dumbest argument that exists. And it's a lie. But throw around the word slavery, throw around the word racism, and you can basically eliminate anything. You can eliminate anything. It had nothing to do with slavery. There would not be a country but for some of the compromises they made, like the Electoral College, the small states weren't going to join the Union. Or the states with small populations weren't going to join the Union. They were trying to create a country. I'll be right back. Lovin. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community help students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. One of the things I don't understand is radical Democrats who are running for the Democrat nomination for president out of the Senate. They serve in an institution 
that according to their own rationale should not even exist. One man, one vote, right? Bernie Sanders comes from Vermont. Mr. Producer, Bernie Sanders comes from Vermont. How many people are in Vermont? 14? He gets the same vote as a senator from California or New York or Pennsylvania or Florida or Texas. One man, one vote. Is Bernie Sanders the child of a segregationist movement? Is he the child of a slavery compromise in the United States? No. But there he is. He has the same vote. The two, the two Democrats. That, well, he's a socialist. Socialist and Democrat out of everyone have the same vote as the two out of California. Is that fair? Why don't these reporters ask serious questions? Well, does your current office chair support you? If you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down. Compare that to my ex-chair with dynamic variable lumbar support. We call it DVL. The X-Chair's DVL provides unbelievably comfortable lumbar support, and every part of the chair can be custom-adjusted to fit you. That's why the X-Chair is equally supportive and comfortable, whether you're 5 foot 2 inches tall or 6 feet 4 inches and 250 pounds. I can comfortably sit in it for hours, and I do. And now with the introduction of the X-Basic model, there's an X-Chair for everybody type and budget. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option, Pay as little as 30 bucks a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. X-Chair is on sale right now for 100 bucks off. Just go to xchairlevin.com. That's xchairlevin.com. Or give them a call, 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Just go to xchairlevin.com right now. Use code XWheels. And you'll receive a free set of their new X-Wheels, too, with your chair. That's xchairlevin.com or 1-844-4X-Chair, the greatest chair you'll ever put your tuchus in. Take my word for it. The Senate. Bernie Sanders comes from a state with a tiny population. Has the same vote as a senator who comes from a state with a massive population. Why doesn't Bernie Sanders show us the way on the Electoral College with the same logic and resign from the Senate? And why don't all these anti-Electoral College Democrats in the Senate all resign? I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. I have to say, Joe Biden's joke, it was a very... Not an in-your-face joke, just a comment. Didn't bother me. Did it bother you, Rich? Didn't bother me. The guy leaves the stage. I think he's the head of the electrical union. He had given him a hug, and he said, you know, I got permission to give him a hug. Is that is that horrible? I don't think it's horrible. And I'm no Joe Biden fan either. More on him later. Elizabeth Warren. 
They're all at this National Action Network. This just shows you how corrupt the left is, how corrupt these Democrats are. Nobody should be within miles of Al Sharpton and his National Action Network. This guy is a is a rash on the thigh of the country. And he has been for a long time. Anyway, there they are. And they keep saying that Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor of Georgia, actually won. No, she didn't. She lost, and she lost significantly. Over 50,000 votes. Well, you know, all the votes should count except for those 50,000, apparently. All votes should count. Except those 50,000. Well, it was rigged. There was suppression. Now, if we start to say that about candidates who lose in different states, you know, 50,000 illegal aliens voted or it was rigged. Oh, you must be a kook. What the hell is wrong with you? She says it. She's presidential material. She's just another left-wing hack. That's all she is. And she lost. And these Democrats really ought to stop undermining Americans' America's confidence in itself. She lost legitimately. Lost. But Elizabeth Warren is a hack. And uh, she's at the National Action Network, and this is what she has to say. Cut three, go. Just last year, the Republicans in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District threw enough votes in the trash to rig an election. Massive voter suppression prevented Stacey Abrams from becoming the rightful... What? 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 What does North Carolina's 9th Congressional District have to do with Stacey Abrams in Georgia? She's a rambling buffoon. Both of them, actually. Go ahead. Governor of Georgia. They'll fight anyone who tries to stand up and push back. They'll do what, what does that mean? Who, who are they? And Go ahead. To stop a full and fair count. Shut up, you idiot. You don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Count every vote, except when you lose. Then you don't want to count every vote. Count every vote. Count them twice if you have to, if they're going to vote Democrat. Illegal aliens. Voting twice. Dead people voting. Who perfected that? Her party perfected that. Early voting. Late voting. After voting voting. Got all kinds of crap going on all over this country. How do you think they want about a half a dozen congressional seats in California, among other places? And then they say, oh, we support the integrity of the vote, and it's the Republicans who want to suppress the vote. When Republicans say, uh, hello, are you a citizen? Hey, you must be a racist. No, no, no. I want to know if you should have the right to vote. If you, if you live in this district, if you're say, hey, you're suppressing the vote. Every vote counts. To put up with this crap, and it is crap. And then there's Bernie. You know, I'm going to deal with Bernie Sanders this hour. Let's deal with Bernie Sanders. Because this old red gets away with it. This old red is a coward. Maybe he'll do April 15th on Fox, but he sure as hell won't come on any of my shows, will he, Mr. Producer? He won't come on this radio show, which has a massive audience. He won't come on my Fox show. He won't come on my digital TV show. 
Maybe I should pretend. Maybe I should tell him I'm a communist from Moscow. Then he'll come. I'll bring his wife and kids. They'll have a grand old time. Cut for Bernie Sanders. Go. But in that last election, we saw great campaigns run for governor by Stacey Abrams, Andrew Gillum, and Ben Jealous. They all lost. They didn't run great campaigns. You idiot. They all lost fair and square. And they're all radical leftists, I might add. But Bernie knows what happened. The elections were stolen. Go ahead. They lost. But Mandela Bonds and Garland Gilchrist became the first elected black lieutenant governors in Wisconsin and Michigan. Real progress. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Republicans ran a black candidate for the Senate in Michigan. Did you endorse him, Bernie? No, he lost to a white woman. That's not progress, is it, Bernie? How come the uh, race baiters, uh, how, how come the balkanizers don't support minorities who run who are Republicans? How come? Bernie doesn't support black Republicans, Latinx Republicans, may I say? No. That's not real progress, Bernie. May I call you Bernie? Bernie. How many Bernies? Do we want a Bernie as president? Bernie! Go ahead. So we have made some progress, but clearly all of us recognize that we have a long way to go. Now this is a guy who's elected from Vermont. What's the black population of Vermont? Can you look that up quickly, Mr. Badu? What, what is the black population of Vermont? He didn't move to an industrial, industrialized state and say, you know what, I'm going to run here because of the diversity in this. No, no. The guy's born in Brooklyn, winds up in Vermont, gets elected in Vermont. What's that? So the black population in Vermont is 1.2%. 94.7% Caucasian. Now, if I were an analyst on MSLSD or a host on the Constipated News Network, I'd be talking about, and by the way, Vermont, I love you. This isn't personal. I'd be saying things like, Vermont, that's a segregationist, a segregated state. That idiot Chris Hayes about the Republican Party. There's more minorities in the Republican Party than there are in Vermont, and yet they send this socialist jerk to the Senate. And there shouldn't even be a Senate based on his logic. One man, one vote. All right, get the hell out. What do you mean? Well, why should you, Sanders, have the same vote as Diane Frankenfeinstein out there in California? Well, good point. Well, then resign, you jerk. Anyway. One po- do you say 1.2%? One po- Sounds high. 1.2% of the population in Vermont is African American. 1.2%. That's fine. People live where they want to live. Don't, don't look at me. I'm just saying this is a fact. But they're not making progress in Vermont. They're not making progress. Go ahead. To end the institutional racism which permeates almost every aspect of American society. What the hell are you talking about, you schmo? Institutional racism permeates almost every aspect of American society. How, even as a logical matter, look how irrational that is. 
every aspect of, of American does it permeate black churches? He said every aspect of American society, didn't he? Good Lord. Does he speak for you? Said the national action. This is what kids out there, you kids, this is what we call a demagogue and a Marxist. What other wonderful things does he have to say about your country? Cut five, go. It gives me no pleasure to tell you that we have a president today who is a racist. You're such a lying bag of hot air. No evidence whatsoever that he's a racist or that he's done anything racist. None whatsoever. Go ahead. Who is a sexist? Who is a homophobe? Just this, listen to this. Listen to this. Go ahead. Who is a xenophobe? And who is a religious bigot? Religious bigot. This is a Trotskyite type figure. Anything goes. Just remember the line. The ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. I think Bernie Sanders is a religious bigot. He's a self-hating Jew. There's no question in my mind about that. I think he is. I think Bernie Sanders is a racist. Unlike Donald Trump, who grew up in New York, lived in New York, hired minorities throughout all his businesses, Hired more minorities than live in Vermont, probably. Bernie Sanders went to Vermont, probably looking for the whitest of white states to get elected. Just saying, he must be a racist. Must be a racist. Bernie Sanders on racial disparities in health. Cut six, go. We must take on the disparity within the disparity, the racial disparities which exist in this country, which is also growing wider and wider. I have no idea. Does anyone know what he's talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yay! What the hell do you mean? I don't know. Sounds good to me. Go ahead. There's a general disparity and you got a racial disparity. Today, the infant mortality wait a minute, rate... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Write that. You got a general... Let's write this. The general disparity. Yes. Economic and so forth. Marxism. And a racial disparity. Yes. So, a disparity... <coughs> within a disparity. Okay. Very Einsteinian of him. Let's see. That's Marx too. Very good. Got it. Go ahead. Communities is more than double... The rate in white communities and the death rate from cancer, heart disease, and many other illnesses is far higher for blacks. Unbelievably. Unbelievably. And what causes that? Do we know? Why does he assume it's the quality of health care? Johns Hopkins is considered the greatest hospital in the country. It's certainly one of them. Isn't it, Mr. Producer? Where is it located? in one of the poorest neighborhoods of Baltimore, Maryland. The Cleveland Clinic's considered one of the greatest hospitals in the country, particularly for heart disease. Where is it located? In the city of Cleveland. And I can go right down the list. Most of the greatest hospitals in the country are not located in Montana or Vermont or Idaho or whatever. 
They're located in heavily populated metropolitan areas with significant minority populations. That is, may I say, from a profit point of view, their bread and butter because they're reimbursed by local, state, and federal government for the, for the care that they provide, among others. So this doesn't even make any sense whatsoever. And anybody can walk into an emergency room. Anybody. Anybody. But for Bernie Sanders, America really sucks. He doesn't talk about Venezuela anymore. Guess what? That's his paradise. Oh, I I wish he would debate me. Please. There are no racial disparities in Venezuela. Are you aware of that, Mr. Producer? Everybody's dying. Equally. Everybody is starving. Disease is rampant. The sewers are overflowing. You can't get clean drinking water. There's paradise. You've got equality of misery. Equality of bleakness. Equality of starvation. You want equality of that kind without freedom? Look at North Korea. There's another paradise. But he doesn't want to talk about that. Because these are the logical extensions of his ideology. And he plays on America's fears. He pulls at scabs in order to try and build support for his murderous ideology. That's right, I said it. Collectivism, centralization. It always requires a very powerful police state. Always. Go ahead, please. Women are more than three times more likely to die from pregnancy than white women. So when we talk about disparity... We are talking about the need for more black doctors. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not opposed to more black doctors, but what does that have to do with it? What does that have to do with anything? How does that relate to what he just said? How does any of this relate to his, to his Marxist ideology? It doesn't, but it doesn't matter. He's a demagogue. I'll be right back. Love in. Bernie Sanders. Oh. Bernie Sanders. Let's go to cut seven, Mr. Producer. Go. Today on the 400th anniversary. Not an anniversary that we're proud of, but an anniversary of the first Africans bring, bring, being brought to this country in slavery. The average black family now has one-tenth the wealth of the average white family. The truth is that... The See, state- I, I don't know what these statistics mean. I don't, I don't know what he's, what he's talking about, neither do you. There are people who have an ancestry in this country that go goes way back. And then there are people who just arrived in this country who are also quite poor. So I I don't know what we're talking about here, seriously. Are we talking about people who've been here for 150 years, their ancestry, their bloodline? We're talking about people who just came here three months ago? What are we talking about? 
But this isn't what we should be talking about at all. What we should be talking about is how do we improve the lot of all individuals in a country? The cities are run by leftist Democrats, virtually every major metropolitan area. It's not working. We've had a new deal, a great society, a square deal, a fair deal. We've had Obama. We've had all this stuff. It's not doing what they said it would do. When's the last time we fully embraced capitalism in this country? Really during the Industrial Revolution. And what did it do? Well, look around you. Even though the progressives who write our history, the progressives who spew the news, attack the Industrial Revolution, talk about a handful of robber barons, those so-called robber barons created what Marx would call the middle class in the United States. The assembly lines, the blue-collar worker. And they improved the lifestyle of virtually all Americans in the long run, didn't they? Many of the convenience and luxuries you enjoy today came out of the Industrial Revolution. It was the greatest growth and improvement of an economy and a people in the history of mankind. Why don't we try things like that rather than more government, more government, and then more government? And stop the race baiting, you clown. I'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. Have you noticed when Democrats win elections, the elections are legitimate and nobody ever questions them? But when Republicans win elections, they're illegitimate and they're constantly questioned. Have you noticed? You know, a recent study shows Americans are sleeping less than ever, even though lack of sleep ruins your performance and impacts your relationships. Now, I've got some good news, because how you sleep at night is all the folks over at Bolin Branch think about. And that's right. They want you to get the best night's sleep possible. So they created the softest, most comfortable, 100% pure organic cotton sheets in the world. Hundreds of thousands of Americans sleep better, thanks to Bolin Branch. 
and all their products, from the signature soft sheets to the cozy throw blankets to their plush towels, are designed with you in mind and made the right way, not the easy way. And they want you to love your Bowling Branch purchase. And by the way, I really know you will. So they give you a 30-day risk-free trial. Hello! 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 A 30-day risk-free trial on sheets? I'm telling you. Bowling Branch is offering you, my listeners, this too. $50 off your first set of sheets plus free shipping at bowlandbranch.com. But you need to use promo code MARK. That's bowl, B-O-L-L, and branch.com, promo code MARK for 50 bucks off. Bowlandbranch.com, promo code MARK. I want you to go there right now. It's Friday evening. Now's the time to act. And get yourself some really, really great sheets. No risk whatsoever. None. I'd like you to do another thing. We're coming on on the weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. I'm going to be on Waters World on Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm going to be on my own show, Life, Liberty, and Levin. I almost forgot, almost forgot the name of my own show. Life, Liberty, and Levin, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. And I hope, starting right now, we'll have a huge surge. You all will go on Amazon.com and order yourselves a copy at 40% off for $16.80 of Unfreedom of the Press. We're going to hit the ground running on this. We've already lined up three book signings. I can't tell you where yet. You won't be that surprised, I don't think. I'm planning on doing one more. Maybe I'll do two more. Not sure where I'll go, but I'm thinking hard about going to a couple other places in the country. But I'm counting on you, you folks. We have to really push back on the media in this country. We really have to embrace our, our history. And we really have to talk honestly about what is a fairly complicated issue. What do we do about it? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to start that journey right here. And you know what's funny? I was told this morning, I haven't looked uh, lately, but I was told that Michelle Obama's book is number two or three on Amazon. Can somebody tell me why? Now let me tell you why that is important. I have an entire chapter in this book, as I told you, that's entitled New York Times Betrays Millions. Now there's that list, that little list they call the New York Times bestseller list, remember? Nobody's sure exactly how it works, but a lot of conservatives get screwed, let me tell you. If my book sales are a couple thousand more in the first week than Michelle Obama, they're going to give it to Michelle Obama. Now, why is that important? Because the issue that we want to address is more important than her silly book. I have to be way out in front, ten or 20,000. And I think we can do that. But what's more important is I think you're going to really embrace the book. I think once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. That's what I'm told from my uh, editors anyway. They loved it, loved it. And if they don't love it, they'll tell you. I've spent the last, what, seven, eight weekdays on the air giving you a little taste of the book here and there. There's a tremendous amount more in it, but a little taste here and there. And we'll continue to do that. But I want this to be, you and me, a movement of patriotic Americans. We're concerned about the future of the country. We watch these Democrats running for president. 
We watch how the media are so thoroughly corrupt. We watch how they try and dislodge a constitutionally elected president. When's the last time the media, apart from a few outlets, actually advanced the cause of constitutionalism, liberty, private property rights, national sovereignty, a strong military? When's the last time? When's the last time they did a real story on any of those issues? They don't. And we need to not only get to the bottom of it, we need to challenge them. And I'm going to give you the arguments through research and scholarship, not all of which is mine. And you'll know all the original sources. I put it at the back of the book in my end notes. There's over 400 of them. I think this book will be just as important as liberty and tyranny during the Tea Party movement. But it's up to you. But it is 40% off. That's a big deal over at Amazon.com. And I look forward to when all the retail bookstores have them too. Costco and Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Target, BJ's, Sam's Club. They're going to be in all those places. At least that's what we're told. But you can get a head start right now, and I would encourage you to do it. 40% off? That's a big deal. Let us take some calls. Cindy, Nashville, Tennessee, XM Satellite. That is a wonderful, wonderful city. How are you? Oh, wonderful, Mark. Thank you for taking my call. I so appreciate it. And I'm you got it. I, uh, I'm calling in because I'm, I'm literally scared to death for our country. If mm-hmm. the Democrats push this stupid popular vote and they take control of our government, we're, you know, we're going to lose everything. And you know what's funny? It's not even really a popular vote. They want these heavily populated dark blue states to control the outcome of elections. That's what they want. They pretend they're for one man, one vote. No, they're not. They're only for democracy when they win. Otherwise, they want rule by the judiciary. And it would go to the Supreme Court, right? What's that? Oh, yeah, no, that'll go to the Supreme Court. But you know what? I I don't always have faith in the Supreme Court. Sometimes we win, sometimes they lose. But the fact of the matter is, we know what the Constitution says. And the idea that one justice can determine in a five-to-four vote what is fundamentally constitutional and what isn't is absurd. Well, if they want to have a popular vote, why don't we we say uh, each state gets one vote? And and whoever wins the why don't we why don't we just break up the union? They believe in nullification. They believe in eliminating the electoral college. They're breaking up the union. They are doing this in the tradition of the Democrat Party in the past. Obviously, not for the same reason, but that's what the Confederacy wanted. This is a new kind of Confederacy, not promoting slavery, obviously, but promoting the abolition of of uh, of what is our constitutional system. You know, All right. By the way, are those birds in the background or just liberals yes, chirping? I had, yes, sir. I had to get away from my husband. He thinks I'm nuts when I listen to you so much. You've got me so interested. Well, in now, wait a minute. What's, a, yeah, yeah, what's your husband doing? Listening to the birds? <laughs> He's inside sitting at the table. <laughs> I'm right. outside. There you go. All right. I appreciate it, Cindy. You take care of yourself. Let's go to Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go. 
Chuck, your new book sounds extremely important. I, I know you did a great job. I didn't see it yet. My Ukrainian friends have been calling and talking to each other. They're really excited about the book, the way you pointed out what happened in the Ukraine with that famine and how the New York Times covered it up. What I'm calling about, though, is... And let me tell you, when, when is the last time anybody talked about that? Last time? Well, you were the last, but I've That's been it. I'm the first and the last. <laughs> anyway, go right ahead. Yeah, uh, the communist press says that, about, about the communist press, that when you read a story written by Amter, it's not his story. It's actually coming from the Central Committee. The communist press is used to reach their members. So U.S. intelligence will be tapping phone lines to see what's going on. The communist press puts out their orders to the masses through their publications. So I have three Soviet publications here in English. One of them is 1990, and they're talking about the Soviet Union. When, when it breaks up, it's going to be a multi-party system with all different Marxist parties. Okay, This way it's multi-party, but it's still Marxist control. In the same publication, they talk about alternative paths to Marxism in the West, and they talk about Antonio Gramsci. That's the big name, Antonio Gramsci Strategies. And then in another Soviet publication, World Marxist Review, remember, these are put out by Soviet intelligence for their members. It goes from one Communist Party to Soviet Union to the American Communist Party. From there, it filters out through the various colleges and universities. So this Bernie is like, Sanders. Then you, when you read with the communists, right, within a couple of years, it becomes mainstream. Here they talk about it's incumbent upon Marxist research centers and all elements of the party apparatus connected with the mass media to have a thorough knowledge of the strong and weak points of anti-communism. In other words, to build a better argument against us and for communism. And then in this eight, the 20, 27th Congress, Communist Party, Soviet Union, 1986, the Congress is the Soviet Congress, but it sounds like the Democrat Congress. The Congress notes the growing role of the mass and propaganda media in promoting the party's economic strategy its social policy, and in cultivating the socialist consciousness. It regards television, radio, and the press as powerful vehicles of publicity and instruments mm -hmm. of public control. Yep. We must use the mighty ideological potential of television more effectively. It goes on and on and on. So, Jimmy, what's your bottom line before I have to go? The bottom line is the enemy has plans. They write about it. The American communist press says you cannot unlink the Soviet Union from the world revolutionary process. So there's a Soviet collapse, but we're under bigger danger now than before the collapse. All right, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate your call. Is there any question, I'm asking this now, once you read the book, you'll know the answer. Is there any question whatsoever that the New York Times covered up Stalin's genocide against Ukrainians? There's no question whatsoever. None. None. Is there any question that the New York Times rarely reported on it when it did push to its back pages the Holocaust as it was occurring in real time. No, there's no question whatsoever. You have the Great Famine, as I guess it's called, where Stalin wiped out approximately 10 million Ukrainians. And the New York Times never got the story straight. They had a propagandist, Walter Durandi, as their 
Russia correspondent. And he was the senior correspondent, been there 12 years. And many people think he was on the take. He was sympathetic to the communist revolution. And you have this same New York Times owned by a Jewish family. It's not anymore. It's more mixed than that, but it was then. While the owners are trying to get their own relatives out of Germany, they're covering up the story. Do you know how many times the Holocaust, as it was going on, was on the front page of the New York Times, Mr. Producer, during the Holocaust is longer than World War II, during the six or seven years of the Holocaust. Do you know how many times it wound up on the front? Six times. Six times, and it was never a leading story. Six times. And the New York Times had every reason to know what was going on, as I explain in the book. Now, now we get lectures from the New York Times. Lectures from the current publisher of the New York Times, the great-great-grandson of the original owner. And this one, this Sulzberger... He likes to lecture President Trump that he's a great threat to freedom of the press. No, 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 no. You, the New York Times, you're a great threat to freedom of the press. And as I said the other day, you silence those voices of the starving Ukrainians. You silence those voices of the murdered Jews. I want you to think about this. Upwards of 20 million people slaughtered in a period of less than 15 years in the Ukraine and all throughout Europe with the Jews and the New York Times barely said a word. Barely said a word. That's your New York Times. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, you know what's annoying? Well, the fact that break-ins are still happening all the time, you know, they wouldn't be happening all the time if you'd get simply safe home security. The FBI says there's over a million of these break-ins every year. It's ridiculous that people don't protect themselves. Police do everything they can, but you have to do what you need to do to protect your family and to protect your home. And it's very easy to do right now, easier than ever before. That's why I always recommend getting a good security system. In fact, I recommend getting a great security system. That's simply safe home security. It's fantastic protection for your home that keeps working if the power goes out, if the Wi-Fi goes down, or even if a burglar smashes your keypad. They have some of the fastest response times in the industry, ready to send your 24-7 help if there's an emergency. So maybe it's no big surprise that Simply Safe is the top choice security system for CNET, for PC Mag, and for the Levin family, not to mention 3 million other Americans. 
Go to simplysafemark.com and you'll learn more there about Simply Safe. Order today, you'll get free shipping on your system as well as a 60 day money back guarantee. Again, no risk. That's simplysafemark.com. Simplysafemark.com. Did you see, Mr. Producer, that uh, Jeff Bezos has finalized the property settlement on his divorce? Washington Post, he gets. It's apparently worth $137 billion. And uh, his wife's getting like $35, $40 billion. Doesn't seem fair, does it to you? Now, he holds on to the Washington Compost. He wants the Washington Compost. Why do you think Bozos wants the Washington Compost, ladies and gentlemen? Well, let me ask you something. How many stories has Bozos, excuse me, has the Washington Compost written about Bozos? Very few. Excuse me, Bezos. Bozo, Bezo, whatever. How many? Very few. See, it's power. Owning a media outlet. It's absolute power. So Bozo, Bezos, he's, he's not going to give up his, uh, his, his Washington compost. Now, the Washington compost was going broke. And uh, Bozo, Bezos, he stepped in and saved it. What would we do without the Washington Compost? Mark, are you against a free press? I'm all for free press. You know where you get the best news? Well, there's a handful of national news outlets, but you get the best news locally. And you want to know why you get the best news locally, in my humble opinion? Because it's not 24-7. And they actually cover a lot of subjects that affect you directly. If we're getting real news on the national level on some of these cable channels... We know more about what China is doing. We know more about what Russia is doing in Antarctica. We know about all these things, but we know very little about them unless you search the Internet and you find other news outlets. I'll be right back. You wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day. Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. The Mueller Report. Aren't you sick of this stuff? 
I'm sick of this stuff. You know what else I'm sick of? Joe Scarborough. Why is this guy on TV? You remember in the old days, you know, it'd be about midnight or one in the morning, two in the morning, and you'd turn on your TV before cable TV for you youngins out there, and there would just be like straight lines, and you're not aware of that, are you, Rich? Yeah, that was it. That is more entertaining than just... I never realized Al Sharpton's head is like about three times the size of his body. Have you noticed this? Holy mackerel. No offense. I'm just saying. Much like Joe Scarborough. So Joe Scarborough's on the morning schmo show, of course, named after him, on the Mueller report. Now, this guy's supposed to be a lawyer. This guy was a backbencher congressman who accomplished nothing. Failed radio host, failed TV host, and he got a another contract with his little lady on uh, MSLSD, where ratings don't matter, especially in the morning show. Morning schmo has no ratings, except, of course, among the North Korean military who think he's great. Now, we've talked at length, all of us, about why the Attorney General can't just flip this report into Congress There's the rule of law when it comes to Rule 60 and grand jury information. There's due process for witnesses. There's all kinds of reasons why it has to be reviewed. Everybody knows that. Apparently, everybody but the hardcore left-wing, nut-fringe, kook, radical, extremist morons, of which Joe Scarborough is one. But what Joe doesn't understand, they really don't accept him either. They really don't accept him either, you see. His day will come. He'll be, uh, he'll be the Joe Biden of the uh, MSLSD crowd one day. But anyway, I want you to listen to Stupid. Stupid, which is a lot of what MSNBC does. That's how they've built their business model, around stupid. And nobody's stupider. Cut nine, go. If Donald Trump and his campaign coordinated with Russia, it could be legal. It could be morally wrong. But more important than that, it could be dangerous. We Americans, are you listening, Mr. Attorney General? Are you listening, Mitch McConnell? We Americans have a right to know if our president was compromised in any way, and we have a right to know the nature of the relationship between the government of Russia and oligarchs outside of Russia and attorneys connected with the Russian government and our president. And just because it doesn't reach a certain legal threshold does not mean for one moment that every single American has a right to see that report. Man's unhinged. And his voice gets higher and higher and higher. Have you noticed that, Rich? He's, he's angry and his voice gets higher. It almost prebubescent. It was a prebubescent rant. Now, you know the answer to this. But here's the deal. His audience is so small and so stupid. They don't know the answer to this. The reason we have a rule against the release of grand jury information is to protect you, ladies and gentlemen. The reason prosecutors don't normally do reports 
is to protect you, ladies and gentlemen. The reason prosecutors are supposed to do their talking in a courtroom where there's a judge and a jury and they have to meet certain evidentiary requirements is to protect you, ladies and gentlemen. The reason why reports that talk about individuals who've done nothing wrong but might be embarrassing to them are not supposed to be released is to protect you, ladies and gentlemen. This whole criminal justice system is set up to protect you as an individual human being. It doesn't exist to feed Congress and their political ambitions. It doesn't exist to feed the media, including the dumber among them, like Scarborough. We have a criminal justice system. And there are standards, and there's rules, and there's requirements for actual evidence. No matter how unhinged this buffoon becomes, or the rest of them. We have a little problem in this country right now. They dress up tyranny as transparency. We have a right to know. Joe, actually, you don't have a right to know certain pieces of information. For instance, Congress will never release its texts, members of Congress, their texts, their emails, other documents, because they don't apply FOIA to themselves. But we have a right to know. But the reason we don't have a right to know, folks, is because the individual is more important than the mob. Let me repeat that so this clown can understand it at MSLSD. The individual is more important than the mob. Scarborough is part of the mob. But so is Don Lemon. So is Senator Wyden. So is former Congressman Holtzman. Former lawyer John Dean, Scarborough, Nicole Wallace, Jamie Raskin, and others. We have a right to know. We have a right to eviscerate our criminal justice system because we have a right to know. Cut eight, go. If we get like, to mid-April and still don't have the full report, will it start to look like a cover-up? Every day that goes by without the American people getting the actual report, the details that you talked about, is indicative of a cover-up. The fact of the matter is that Barr could show that he cared about transparency if he went to the court, as Jaworski did, and said, Judge, please release this to the House Judiciary Committee. He's doing nothing of the kind, so he's perpetrating, in my view, a cover-up. All of his many letters clarifying past letters and past statements are just adding confusion. Uh, this has the smell of cover-up. And it seems like Barr was covering up for the president, or at least trying to whitewash some of the nastier facts. But they have to know by now how it looks. It looks at this point like a whitewash. If we start running our government based on lies and deception and cover-up and make that the normal standard operating procedure, we're moving into a very different form of government. What do you have to hide? Let's make this public. That's the whole point. And the more you obfuscate and the more words Following come out the rule to law try to cover up grand jury is what secrecy. it is. Mm-mm-mm. MSLSD. CNN. You actually learn anything from these uh, cable networks? Have they done anything 
to correct their past reporting on collusion. Any circumspection, any reformation, nothing. They're still at it. Nothing. They doubled down, they tripled down. And so now we have another one of these pseudo-events that somehow Barr is in the business of covering up. And it, if you don't deliver it by April 15th, the very stupid Don Lemon says, well, doesn't that look like a cover-up? Where do they find these clowns? It's not hard. They're all former local newsmen, former congressmen, former this, former that, John Dean... I believe John Dean did some time in jail, if I'm not mistaken. Michael Cohen will be joining him on CNN, no question about it. They'll have Michael Cohen, they'll have John Dean. Put that fat slob Carl Bernstein between them. There's quite a crowd right there. Give him his two chairs to sit on. But Joe Scarborough. Where, Where are you hiding there, man? Where are you hiding? Let the American people know. I don't care about grand juries. I don't care. I don't care about classified. Let the American people know. We have a right to know. If our president's connected to the Russians, we have a right to know. Now let Mueller do his job. Let Mueller do his job. Who stopped Mueller from doing his job? Nobody. If you're a viewer of the Scarborough program, your IQ goes down every day. You've got to be in the negative category. You're turned inside out mentally. And you don't know the facts and you learn nothing. Do the people who watch this buffoon, all 12 of them, do they know that Mueller's office is working with the Attorney General and the Attorney General is working with other career lawyers in the department? to determine what to redact and what not to redact? Or is this a systemic conspiracy? A systemic conspiracy? Meanwhile, you had McCabe out there leading a coup effort. You had Comey leaking like a sieve. You had this guy Baker, the general counsel of the FBI. He's under criminal investigation. They're all wiped out. They're all in trouble. They're all under investigation. That they don't see. But Barr is leading a conspiracy. That includes Mueller. Mueller's part of the conspiracy now. And the career lawyers at the Department of Defense are part of the conspiracy too. The Office of Legal Counsel. Oh, yeah. We have a right to know. We have a right to know. To know what, you idiot? And what is this right to know? Where does that come from? No, you don't have a right to know what took place in the grand jury room. That's why they locked the door. That's why there's a sheriff standing in front of the door. So you don't have a right to know because of what's going on in there. It's all one-sided. The witness doesn't have a lawyer. But we have a right to know. Says who? And me, Joe Scarborough. And Amika Brzezinski. Well, she has a right to know. My wife has a right to know, too. But you don't. You don't have a right to know that, and you don't have a right to classified information. Period. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. He 
Even 30 days ago, you would never have seen anything like the morning schmo and Mrs. Schmo anywhere near a television. They would be a lounge act at a third-rate Las Vegas motel where the perfume is heavy and the smoke is thick. And by smoke, I mean marijuana smoke. Uh, But because uh, you have MSLSD and they need to fill 24-7 airtime, they drag in the miscreants and the malcontents. Why else do you think Al Sharpton has a show there? Or Chris Matthews. Has Chris Matthews ever said anything that's intelligent? Of course not. And a mad owl there. Conspiracy nut. What else? Oh, Lawrence O'Donnell. What's that noise? What's that noise? Remember that video, Mr. Producer? Oh, yes. Could do a whole movie around him. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, I think I would call it. That's quite a lineup they have over there. But it's kicked off with the Schmoes, Morning Schmo and Mrs. Schmo. Release it! We have a right to know! We have a right to know! I said we have a right to know! Shut up, you idiot. Sit down. And maybe we don't have a right to know. Like nails on a chalkboard, it's tax season. And if you have IRS debt, you better pay attention. Every tax ad you hear reminds you this could be the day the IRS nails you. You broke rule number one, don't mess with the IRS. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, even take your home. I'm going to give you my direct line to Optima Tax Relief. It's just for my listeners to ask about the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. Now, if you qualify, you could save thousands, even tens of thousands of dollars. Nobody knows this program like Optima Tax Relief. They've got the best tax lawyers. They've got former IRS personnel. They have accountants. They have experts who are there to help you. And by the way, they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and they've resolved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. $1 billion. They'll stand between you and the IRS and fight to get you the best deal possible. Call now to see if you qualify for the Fresh Start Initiative. All you got to do is press a few buttons. You ready? 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Do you realize if Hillary Clinton had uh, played shenanigans to get her daughter into college, way a couple of these actresses and others have. She could be facing prison time. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? But if you violate the Espionage Act over and over and over and over and over and over again, nothing. Nothing happens at all. Nothing. There's your equal justice, huh? Anthony, Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT. I spent a lot of time. My family did Old York Road. My parents had a store called the Ming Tree there. And remember Martin's Aquarium and the little theater across the street and the diner that I think is shut down and the pharmacy. That was a lot of fun. Great town. Yeah, it's a lovely town. That theater's still there, too. They kept it open. Wonderful. So uh, I'm, re- I'm a really big fan. Um, your show makes me laugh a lot, too, which is great, Thank especially you. this hour. Uh, and I just ordered a copy of your new book, I'm Freedom of the Press. Very Thank excited you. to read it. Um, so I just wanted to mention a couple of examples of 
how the Democrats continuously put their party first and our country second. Mark, do you think this abolishing the Electoral College nonsense would even be a topic of discussion if California and New York were dark red states and the middle of the country was blue? You're right. Of course not. Yeah. And let me ask you, do you think Republicans were coming across the border? Do you think they'd support open borders? Well, not, not the true conservatives. I mean, the Democrats, they'd support it. Yeah, I mean, that's... I'm that kidding. My second... <laughs> well, that was my second example, is that you've talked about it a lot before, is there would be no immigration debate on the left if 75% of those crossing the border were voting Republican. No, they'd be contacting the Chinese government and say, we want a greater wall than you have over there. I think. Exactly. Anyway, yes. And, you know, as we're us true conservatives, we, we would never shift our views in on either of these areas because we believe in the genius of the Electoral College and, and the importance of protecting our border. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. They can't change the Electoral College legitimately through an amendment. Right. So they're trying to go around it with this national voter initiative. It'll wind up in the in the courts, but makes me very nervous then, uh, when, we, when we have these tests in the Supreme Court. Uh, John Roberts is very weak, very weak, and you're going to see, unfortunately, people are going to upset, but I warn people, Kavanaugh is very weak, too, and that'll begin to show as well. So we'll oh, see. Geez, I hope not. All right, All my right, friend. Thanks a lot. All right, God bless. We'll be right back. Than allowed by law. The Mark Levin Show. Call now at 877 381 3811. Peter Wallison is a scholar, a well known lawyer, Reaganite, served for uh, several years in the Reagan administration, including a few as uh, President Reagan's counsel, and a man I admire from afar. How are you, sir? Well, I'm very well, Mark. It's wonderful to be here with you. It's my great pleasure. Well, You've written a book, The Timing Couldn't Be Better, Judicial Fortitude, The Last Chance to Reign in the Administrative State. People talk about the swamp, the administrative state, all the time. You've been watching this for a while now. How did we get to this point where we have this massive bureaucracy that seems to operate on its own? Well, oddly enough, it's the fault of the courts. Uh, The courts have responsibility. In fact, they were expected by the framers to protect the separation of powers. They were uh, enjoined to make sure that the, the Congress made the laws and the executive only enforced them. But for many years now, especially since the New Deal, the courts have kind of given up on that role and uh, have allowed, uh, in fact, they've encouraged um, the agencies to Uh, take whatever statutory authority they had and to expand it um, massively, with the result that most of the rules that are being made in this country now are being made not by our elected Congress, but by these administrative agencies that are peopled by folks all around Washington, D.C. That's basically the swamp. You know, and it's interesting you bring this up because uh, I have a lot of conservative friends, and some of them are in Congress, Fewer and fewer, actually. But that said, uh, they really got worked up with the president of the National Emergencies Act of 1976. And I'm not really 
delving into that, and they were going on and on about separation of powers. Isn't the problem a hundred times bigger than that? You look at all these departments and agencies. I remember the Heritage Foundation tried to figure out how many regulations have criminal penalties, and in the end they gave up. They said, we can't even figure it out. Yeah. Um, That's entirely right. This whole business about the president's emergency powers was just foolish. It's because of the ignorance of the media. They don't really understand very much about how the government works. But the Congress gave the president the power in 1976 to declare an emergency. That's it. End of story. Um, He he doesn't... he, he, he does not have to define an emergency, and the Congress didn't define it for him. So he has that power. And that's been what's going on for a long time. Congress has consistently given the president tremendous amounts of additional power, legislative power, the power in effect to make laws, and the courts have not stepped in. That's what the book is about. And the book also uh, makes an excellent point about the progressive movement. This is a... a, a crucially important aspect of progressivism so you may have a republican slash conservative president but he or she really can't control this administrative state it really works for the left pretty much doesn't it yes that's exactly right there isn't any way to control them in each year mark this is an unbelievable number but in each year since 1993 when uh, the counting began More than 3,000 rules and regulations have been put out by the administrative agencies of the federal government every year for a total of 101,000 rules and regulations. So in effect, we're living under what these people have have, uh, created, and we have had no chance really to vote on it because Congress handed this power over to them. And these individuals who make these rules and laws, we don't know who they are. We don't know how they overlap agency to agency. Uh, And we don't know how they got to where they got. But we do know they're protected as members of the civil service. And they have unions in many cases. And uh, it's hard to move them out of these positions, isn't it? That's absolutely true. It's almost impossible. And, you know, at the end of every Democratic administration, um, not so much in Republican administrations, but at the end of every democratic administration there are people who burrow in who were in the administration they were political appointees and they burrow in to the um, administrative agency staffs where they continue to pursue their liberal programs there's a couple of key supreme court decisions and by the way the book is judicial fortitude the last chance to reign in the administrative state by peter j wallison he's a brilliant man and he writes very very well for people to understand exactly what he's trying to get at and talking about. There's a, there's a couple of key Supreme Court decisions that really set this up, right? Yes, absolutely. The, the uh, most important one, at least in modern times, is the so-called Chevron case, uh, Chevron versus Natural Resources Defense Council. And in that case, what the court essentially said, it was talking to the lower courts, and it said, when you are confronted by a challenge to an administrative rule you should defer to the agency's interpretation of its own powers rather than to the statutory language, as long as you believe that that is reasonable. Uh, This, of course, has given gigantic latitude to, to the agencies and made it very difficult for anyone who is challenging a rule or a regulation to win in a court. 
so that's the first thing that has to be modified. That's the Chevron case. But the more important thing, Mark, is for the courts to revive the so-called non-delegation doctrine, uh, which, which would require that the courts look carefully at whether Congress has delegated legislative authority to an administrative agency and declare those laws where that has happened to be unconstitutional. It's going to take a great reformation of the judiciary because, you know, they get stuck in their ways and they look at precedent and, as we call it, stare decisis. But there is a justice on the Supreme Court who gets this, isn't there? Yes. In fact, I've dedicated my book to him. It's called, he's, his name is Clarence Thomas. But he's not alone anymore. No. There are four others who style themselves as constitutionalists. And if you're a constitutionalist, the most important thing that you know about the Constitution is the separation of powers. And that is, Congress is supposed to make the laws, the executive branch is only supposed to enforce the laws that Congress makes. So with a majority now of five justices who say they are constitutionalists, uh, there's a chance, the best, the most, I think it's the best chance we've had in 50 years, to actually get the non-delegation doctrine revived so the courts will begin to look again at whether what Congress has given to the administrative agencies is really legislative authority, which they are not empowered to do under the Constitution. They're supposed to retain and operate the legislative authority themselves. You know, Peter Wallace and the framers figured that the, uh, the individuals who populate these various branches of government would jealously guard their power. So why would Congress um, confer legislating authority to the executive branch? Well, I think the, the simplest answer, there are probably many answers to this, but the simplest answer is that it's, it's easy because you don't have to make very tough decisions. You hand the decisions that should be made by Congress over to an administrative agency, and then you tell your constituents you solved their problem. You've passed a law. But it's not really a law. It's a set of goals. And it doesn't have any restrictions on what the agency can do, with the result that the agencies have that much more power, and the Congress members, senators and congressmen, go to their constituents and say, you see, I've done a great job while I've been in Congress. I've, I've passed the Clean Air Act. I've passed the Clean Water Act. What the constituents don't know is that they've basically handed over the authority that Congress is supposed to use and, and, uh, and use especially for making the major decisions for society, and they've given that power to unelected bureaucrats. Might another reason be, in addition to that, that particularly for the left and the Democrats, this is a way to enshrine their agenda and their policy through various election cycles and so forth? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if the court now, the court with five constitutionalists on it, if it were now to start, uh, say, reviving the non-delegation doctrine, modifying Chevron, the other thing that they have to do, as I describe in the book, the what would happen is a tremendous blowback from the left because they know exactly what benefits them in the current system, and that is people who are just like them are running all of these agencies and putting out rules about things that they want rules to be put mm -hmm. out about. So 
we've got to we've got to get hold of this and one of the things that i'm trying to do in the book is make sure that people understand that there is a way to do it and it's done most effectively through the courts you would never i think be able to get congress um, to reform itself because it's just too easy for them to uh, pass these very general laws and give the authority to the agencies so we have to rely on the constitution wouldn't you believe it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, con- the Constitution tells us what can be done by the Congress and what can't be done by the administrative agencies. We just need the courts to put that into effect. Well, you lay this out beautifully in your book, Judicial Fortitude, The Last Chance to Reign in the Administrative State. I know you put your heart and soul into it. That's what authors do, and I, I want right. my audience to know that. And. There's a ton you could have written, and then you've, you've whittled it down to the essentials, which is very, very important. And I would just say to my audience, if you want to know why we have this problem and you want to know what we can do about it, this is the book, Judicial Fortitude, The Last Chance to Reign in the Administrative State, Peter J. Wallison. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Mark, I appreciate your saying those good things about the book, and I hope to see you soon. God bless you, sir. You take care. Rich, let's go ahead and put it up on Amazon. I mean, excuse me, on my social sites and link to Amazon. All right. Oh, admit it. You think that cybercrime is something that happens to other people. Now, you may think that no one wants your data or that hackers can't grab your passwords or credit card details, but you'd be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. And when you leave your Internet connection unencrypted, as you, you know, I like to say, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on huge billboards for the rest of your world, world to see, or on walls, you know, in, in malls and so forth. That's why I decided to take action. To protect myself from cyber crimes, I use ExpressVPN. It's the best. There's no question. ExpressVPN secures and makes anonymous your Internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Turning on ExpressVPN... And their protection only takes one click. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. No risk. Protect your online activity immediately. Today, find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mark. That's ExpressVPN, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash mark for three months free with a one-year package. Visit ExpressVPN.com slash mark and learn more. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let us go to John, Las Vegas, Nevada, the great Kadon, K-D-W-N. Go. Hey, Mark. Uh, just want to say it's great to be a part of the Levin Nation. A couple little quick notes for hit my Thank main uh, point to you. I'll try to make it quick. Is uh, They mentioned Schwarzenegger earlier, and in the past we had the Terminator, and now we have you, the Levinator. <laughs> so, uh, Thank you. Calling you, you calling you from the Levinator, level things out. The second thing is kind of neat. When I ran National Car at the FW Airport back in the 80s. When you did what? Airport, I ran National Car Rental at DFW Airport in Dallas. Yeah. 
in the 80s, and every time Air Force One came in, I always gave them free cars. And Colonel Riddick, who was the Air Force One pilot for Reagan, gave me a really super nice signed picture of Air Force One and presidential cigarettes and matches that are kind of rare. Wow. Uh, so I've got that mounted on my wall. But anyway, my point was this. I think that Congress and the Senate, every time they had a judiciary a committee or meeting or review or whatever, I think they all need to review and brush up on Robert's rule of order and be nice. And I'm tired of the condescending, I am God, I'm going to crush you, when somebody comes to present themselves mm-hmm. uh, to a committee. it's uh, Well, it's, good luck with that. Really I think the whole damn thing's out of control, to be well, honest absolutely. with you. Yeah, some of you said, hey, is your mother and dad still alive? Why don't yeah. you go back to them and have them teach you manners? You All right, my friend. I think those days are gone, at least for members of Congress. Appreciate your call. Every Friday, America, in honor of you. Here goes.
The week is officially over. The weekend begins right now. Don't forget Waters World, 8 p.m. Saturday. I'll be there. Life, Liberty, and Levin, 10 p.m., all Eastern time. I'll be there on Sunday, of course. And don't forget, please go to Amazon.com, order your copy of Unfreedom of the Press. It's 40% off. Do it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, ICE, Border Patrol, all federal, state, law enforcement. And good night. And God bless you. And see you Monday.